Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Well, as we begin the new year, my prayer has been for my family and our church family two things, uh, two words, theopony, which means an appearance of God, so that we have a divine encounter. And the second word is epiphany, which means a defining moment, a moment when you say, yeah, I get it, I understand. And so I'm praying that throughout this year, God gives us divine encounters that will be a defining moment in our experience in our life with Him. I believe we all need that from what we've gone through in 2020 and as we approach this new year. Amen? So I'm praying that for you every day. God, give us a divine encounter and a defining moment of your presence that will change our lives and the direction of our life forever. Well, as I prayed, I, I thought this morning that we would turn to the most famous or at least the most well-known of all the Old Testament minor prophets. And why not? It's a whale of a story. That's a bad joke. But this particular prophet was made famous for a reason. In my day, it was listed in all the Bible story books, and we all enjoyed turning to that page in the book because there was always the picture of a whale. In my kids' and grandkids' day, it was made famous by Veggie Tales. And now, it's made famous by Sight and Sound at Branson. It's the story of Jonah. Literally, the word is Jonas, or in the Hebrew, it is Jonas. And his name means a dove. Because the Lord calls him like a dove, like the Holy Spirit, to go to this evil nation called Assyria or Nineveh and to cry out his message against them. It is famous. I want you to turn with me to Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Get that? He's fleeing from the presence of the Lord. Duh. God is everywhere. And found a ship going to Tarsus, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarsus from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea, and there was mighty tempest on the sea, so, so that the ship was about to be broken up. God hurled out. God prepared a storm. Amen. Remember that. And then in this same chapter, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared, same word, hurled out, sent forth a great fish to swallow Jonah. Do you notice it doesn't say whale? And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2 and verse 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. 
Salvation is of the Lord. So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto the dry land. Chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Aren't you glad God does second times? Saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Chapter 4 and verse 2. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish, for I know that you are gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm or repents from doing evil. You are of great kindness. You are a God filled with compassion and care. And then we turn finally to verse 5. And he said, So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter and sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared, hurled out, sent forth a plant or a gourd or a vine and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. He rejoiced with great joy, literally. But as the morning dawned, the next day, God prepared, hurled out, sent forth a worm, and it damaged or eat away at the plant so that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared, sent out, hurled out a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself. It is better for me to, uh, to die than to live. Then God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And he said, it is right for me to be angry even to death. But the Lord said, you have had pity, compassion, care on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity, have compassion and care for Nineveh? that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. And when that phrase, discern between their right hand and their left, means there's 120,000 innocent children in Nineveh. Amen. And so out of that, there comes this message. And the message is, we have a God who cares. Our God is the God who cares. So many people have rejected this prophecy of Jonah. Some deny it and try to destroy it because of the controversy over the great fish, the whale. That's what they focus on. But you'll notice in the Hebrew, the word is not, the word for fish is not whale. It means a sea creature or a sea monster or a large fish. And immediately people reject this prophecy by saying, well, you got to know that anatomically a fish, a whale cannot swallow a man. Well, that's not factual. It's been documented that men, sailors, have been swallowed by great fish, including sharks, wholly. But they want to deny it. But what I want you to notice is God prepared the fish. He sent it forth. He hurled it out. In other words, God created that fish. There's never been one like it before, and there's never been one like it since. 
God made it for a specific purpose at a specific time to stop the runaway prophet and send him back to his destiny and his purpose in life. Secondly, some people doubt this and try to distort this prophecy. They say it's not real. It's allegorical. Because Assyria, Nineveh, worshiped the fish god. And so they said it's just allegorical. God sends forth the promise. He's swallowed up by their idol and their God. But God resurrects him to the newness of life so that he can give them the message that will lead to repentance. Or some say it's allegorical about the nation of Israel. That ultimately they would be swallowed up by Babylon who is the uh, the. Uh, nation that arises after Assyria. They come out of Assyria. And the nation of Israel will be swallowed up and devoured by that nation. But God will bring back a remnant. And God, after 70 years of captivity, will restore them to their own land. But there's some who believe this story, who defend it and declare it. And Jesus was one of those. Because in Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 41, Jesus validates this story. He said to that generation, they were seeking for a sign. And Jesus said unto that sign-seeking generation, there will be no sign given unto you except the sign of the prophet Jonas, who was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. Even so, the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. And Jesus validated as a symbol of his own crucifixion, his own death, his own burial, and his own resurrection. Secondly, he validated it like this. He said, I want to tell you that Nineveh will rise up in judgment against this generation that I'm a part of. Because when Jonas came under the power of the Holy Spirit and preached the message of God to that rebellious nation, they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And yet one greater than Jonah is here. You have heard the very Son of God himself, and yet you have still not repented. And so we could go through all of that and debate the reality of this prophecy whether it's real, whether it's just a story. But when we do that, we miss the entire point of what this prophecy is all about. It's not about a whale. This story gives a simple message. This prophecy brings us one great truth. Our God is the God who cares. So in chapter 1, God shows us that he cares for the ruthless, for the wicked sinners, for the non-covenant individuals, for the cruel, for the unconverted. He cares. He is a God that is filled with loving kindness. He is a God that is filled with mercy. He is a God that is filled with compassion for those people who do not know him and are rebellious against his ways. He is the God who cares. And we begin this story by understanding Jonah knows that. He says in chapter 4, the very reason I didn't want to leave my country and go to Nineveh is because I know who you are. You are a God that is filled with loving kindness. You are a God that is filled with mercy and compassion and care for even the, the wicked sinner, for even the ruthless and those that are lost. And the reason Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, he's a prophet. 
And he knows prophetically that one day God will use Assyria or the Babylonians to be the instrument of his judgment upon his own covenant-breaking rebellious people. One day Assyria, Nineveh, will be the instrument of God to defeat and destroy the nation of Israel because of their sin and to bring them into captivity and bondage for 70 long years. And Jonah doesn't want that to happen. And so if he goes to Nineveh, he knows God cares. He knows God uh, will repent and relent of his evil if the people of Nineveh will repent of their sins. He knows the care, the loving kindness of God And he knows if he goes and they repent, then one day they will destroy his people. So instead, he goes to Joppa and he finds a ship that is going to Tarshish away from the presence of God. God cares. God cares for the ruthless, for the cruel. Nineveh is the capital city of Assyria. Assyria, it's a great city. The walls of the city encompass three different suburbs of Nineveh. And those walls are 9 to 13 miles around. In fact, it's estimated that if you walk through one gate to get to Nineveh, you would have to take a day's journey even to get to the center of the city. That's how large it was. In fact, archaeologists have discovered one suburb that had over 67,000 people living in it in those days. So that it took three days journey to go around the city and one day to get to the center of the city. It was a huge, large city. And they were cruel. They were ruthless. They were wicked. They were the terrorist of their generation. They were fierce and warlike. They ruled only by military force, military might, battle after battle, slaughter after slaughter. When they conquered a nation, they would destroy all of the people that they conquered. They would kill the women and the children and the officials. No one was safe. They ruled by terror. They ruled by fierceness. They were a forerunner of Babylon. They were constantly changing kings because the sons would kill the fathers. And after they ruled, their sons and grandsons would attack them. They were an awful, wicked people. Ruthless, cruel, unmerciful. In fact, they invented what we call impaling. They would take their enemies and run a stake all the way through their body and plant them outside the gates of the city. Later, that became too too, uh, much effort, so they would just cut off their head and stick their head on a stick and poke it into the ground as a testimony of their cruelness and their wickedness and their rebellion against everything that was right. That led to the invention of what we call crucifixion. They were ruthless. They were cruel. They were wicked. They were outsiders. They were not part of the covenant agreement of God with Israel. They knew nothing about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the mercy and the kindness of God. They were a wicked and a great, ruthless, sinful generation. But God cares. God is moved with compassion. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is loving, filled with loving kindness. He, when we use this word compassion, it's a unique word. It means to have love and mercy and pity and grace all wrapped up in one. We can't even define it in the English language. It literally comes from the word for spleen. 
It comes out of our innermost being. The Bible calls it bowels of mercy. Out of the innermost part of a person, he longs and yearns and desires to bring hope to the hopeless and help to the helpless and to touch the afflicted and to bring love and joy and and, and kindness even to those that are evil. God is a God who cares. He is a God who is moved upon with compassion. But it doesn't just mean that inner yearning to to touch someone and to help someone. It means that you have the power to do it. And our God is a God who cares. In fact, this word compassion for God is used nine times in the New Testament. That Jesus was moved upon with compassion. And every time it shows his love and his concern, but it shows his power. Do you remember what he did? He was moved upon compassion and he saved the lost. He healed the sick. He taught those that needed understanding. He fed the multitude. He cleansed the leper. He raised the dead. He wept over those that had rejected him. Because he was moved with compassion. Our God cares even for the wicked sinner, even for the ruthless and the cruel nation. God is a God who cares. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. He was made flesh and moved into our mess In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son made of a woman. That's what we just celebrated, that God is a God who cares. And even in the midst of wickedness and even in the midst of ruthlessness and sinners, he is still a God that cares. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked and it is the goodness of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God that leads men to repentance. He will raise up a dove. He'll raise up a Jonah. Like the Holy Spirit, he will come cooing out a message, calling out a message to repent because God is filled with compassion and because he's come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so he comes to them. God prepares a prophet. God prepares a a, a message through that prophet. And through the proclamation, through the crying out of that message, he is going to save and redeem even that ruthless, wicked generation. The Bible says he's chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save those that believe. He said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And if the Son has set you free, you're free indeed. That the entrance of God's Word brings light. It brings life. It is sharp and quick and powerful. The Word will not return unto them void. He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction because God cares for the ruthless. God cares for the wicked sinner. God cares for the cruel. You want to see that repeated? Oh, Brother Bob, that's Old Testament. You want to see it repeated in the New Testament? Then go to the book of Acts and read chapter 10 and 11 and 15. (laughs) Salvation was just going to be for the Jews, you know, (laughs) until you get to chapter 10. And Peter goes to the top of the house. Do you know where he was? Joppa. (laughs) You know where Jonah went? Joppa. Here's Peter on the rooftop at Joppa and they're trying to make him lunch and he gets impatient. I don't know if he had uh, low blood sugar or what, but he fell into a trance while he's waiting for the food. And all of a sudden, a, a, a big sheet comes from heaven, four corners. 
And it's filled with all creeping things and unclean animals and insects. And God has the audacity to look at Peter and says, rise up and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. You know, you can't say that. You can say, not so, or you can say, Lord. But you can't say, not so, Lord. Because if he's your Lord, <laughs> you have to obey. Amen? And, and, and he said, nothing common and unclean has ever touched my lips. And three times God shows him that vision. And then men come from Caesarea. <laughs> That's the wrong city. And they want Peter to go with them to preach to a Gentile by the name of Cornelius. And Paul, Peter gets a revelation. God is no respecter of persons. God is a God of care. God is a God of love. God is a God of compassion and loving kindness. And in every generation and in every nation, God knows the hearts of men. He is a heart-searching God. And he purifies their heart by faith. He is a heart-cleansing God. And out of the gift of repentance, he will bring them into life. He is a God who cares. Oh, he shouldn't care about those people. It says, and there was in Caesarea. That's the wrong place to live in. That's the seaport. In it is a temple to Augusta, emperor worship. It's filled with idolatry and paganism and ungodliness. And Cornelius was living in the wrong place. He had the wrong name. His name was Cornelius, which is a Greek name, which means he's a Gentile. He's not a Jew. He's outside the covenant relationship with God. Not only that, he practiced the wrong profession. He's a centurion. He's not just a Roman soldier. He is the leader of them. He is the perpetrator of terror upon the Jews. He lived in the wrong place. He practiced the wrong profession. He had the wrong name. Most of all, it says he was of the Italian cohort, <laughs> a regiment. In other words, he literally came from Italy, from Rome itself, from what the Jews called the, the den of the, the dragon or the den of the lie, the liar of the dragon. He, has a, he lives in the wrong place. He has the wrong name. He practices the wrong occupation, and he comes from the worst place possible. And you know what? God cares. Oh, hallelujah. God loves and is filled with mercy and compassion and sends Peter of all people. And he stands up and says, God is no respecter of persons, but he's a heart-searching, heart-cleansing God. And when you repent, he gives you the gift of God under eternal life. God cares. Well, didn't he care for us? Wrong place. That's where I was. Wrong name, yep. Practicing the wrong things, yep. <laughs> Came from the worst place of sin and disobedience against God. And yet in spite of my situation, God cared. Oh, hallelujah. He sent forth the message of the gospel. He sent forth the truth of Jesus Christ so that I could be born again. Oh, I can tell you about me. I came from the wrong city. City filled with prejudice, uh, racial prejudice, economic and social prejudice. I came from the wrong background. 
My dad left when I was nine years old and we were on welfare until I got out of high school and my mom did menial tasks in order to make provision for us. I was born on the wrong side of the tracks in that evil city. I was looked down upon. Amen. See, you don't really know me. <laughs> don't talk to me about poverty. I know about poverty. Don't come to me and say, well, you don't understand prejudice. I lived in the middle of it. I was the, the object of it economically and socially. Oh, you know Bob, he's the east sider. Oh, come on, people. Somebody help me this morning. Huh? That's where I was. Wrong city, wrong place, wrong name, from the worst place possible. But God cared. Had a mother that loved me, and the first thing she taught me was how to pray. I went to a church that loved me and prayed for me. God <laughs> sent forth and hurled out a teacher and a coach and a counselor that took interest in me. God gave me a boss that taught me the principles of how to treat people. And God introduced me to a friend at the University of Oklahoma, of all places, that led me to Jesus Christ. And out of that, oh, hallelujah, rude, ruthless, cruel. Oh, I could put on a front. With people that I worked with, I was a nice guy. But with my friends, I was just like them. Everyone I ran around with until I was a sophomore in high school has either died or is in prison. And that's where I was headed. But God, oh, hallelujah. But God cared. God's filled with loving kindness and mercy. I don't understand it. I'm just the recipient of it. I was in the wrong place with the wrong name at the wrong time with the wrong people doing all the wrong things. But God cared. God loved. God hurled out people and his grace to bring me to salvation. Somebody ought to say amen because he did the same thing for you. Oh, but that's just, the, the second thing is, God not only cares for the ruthless and the cruel and, and the wicked sinner, he, cru he cares for the rebellious, for the wayward saints that have lost their commitment and become disobedient. He cares for us even when we've gone in the wrong direction. Jonah receives the call and he arises to go into the other direction, opposite direction. He goes to Joppa finds a ship and pays a fare that's going to Tarshish. Nineveh is 900 miles northeast of Israel. Tarshish is 2,000 miles west of Israel. In fact, it's on the entrance to the Mediterranean Sea. It's in the nation of Spain. Here he's supposed to go 900 miles northeast, and instead he's trying to go 2,000 miles west. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Why? Well, he knew what was going to happen. He knew what would God would do. He's willing to give up himself in order ultimately to save his, his people. And so God comes just like he did in Nineveh and confront, confronts this wayward and rebellious people. He loved him enough to begin to prepare things. And the first thing he did was prepare a storm. He hurled out a storm when Jonah gets on board the ship. A tempest that seeks to break up the boat and destroy the sailors. And Jonah, 
Listen, if God has called you and you're a wayward saint and you're rebelling against God's purpose in your life, you're not only placing yourself in jeopardy, not only are you placing the sailors in jeopardy, but you're going to keep Nineveh from repenting. The only way God can get his message to Nineveh is through you. And if you're rebellious and wayward and fighting against the purpose and the destiny of God, it not only affects you, it brings destruction to them. Oh, okay. And so he threw out this storm to stop him in his path that is away from God, stopped his headlong running away from God's presence. The storm was not to perish, but to pardon We avoid the storms when God sends them to deliver us. They're God's means to turn us around from our rebellious ways and bring us back to the purpose and the destiny of God. Amen. Joseph's pit and Potiphar's house in prison are not for him to perish, but for him to be restored to the purpose for which God has called him. John being exiled on the Isle of Patmos is not to destroy him, but so he'll be in the will of God to get God's revelation of the end time events. Paul's shipwreck on the island, he thinks it's a detour and a delay. That's the destiny. It's not Rome that God's concerned about. It's that island that needs repentance and salvation. Sometimes you think your delay and your detour is ready to defeat you, but it's really God's destiny and purpose. The storm is not to destroy you, but it's to deliver you. Oh, hallelujah. Uh, <laughs> you, you know what they tried to do when the storm came? They threw out their cargo, their treasures. And then when that didn't work, the Bible said they dug deeper. They rode harder to get to shore. You know, when God's moving in your life, trying to turn you around from the direction you're going in rebellion against God, that's what we do. We're going to stay on the ship. And if we have to throw away our morals, if we have to throw away our convictions, amen. if we have to throw away everything we treasure, we'll do it. And then in our own efforts, we'll roll harder. I, I, you know the commercial I love? It's the Geico commercial. You know the one it is? It's about the kids that are actors in a horror movie. And the announcer says, if you're in a horror movie, you make bad decisions. You remember the four kids and they come running up and they're all about in terror and they're crying and somebody says, let's hide in the attic. Duh. Uh, the other one says, let's hide in the basement. And some girl says, why don't we just get in the running car? And the guy says, are you crazy? <laughs> Let's hide behind the chainsaws. You, you know what my mother called that? Taking leave of your senses. She never would tell me I'm crazy. She'd just say, son, you've taken leave of your senses. Uh, and that's what we do. God sends out a storm and we throw away everything that's valuable trying to get out of the storm. We roll harder in our own efforts to get to where God doesn't want us to go. We take leave of our senses. And you know the commercial, they're hiding behind the chainsaws and the bad guy pulls off his mask and goes. And then we miss the last part because it's a voiceover. But do you hear what they do when they're running from the chainsaws? They said, let's run to the cemetery. Duh. 
But that's what we do. God sends out the storm to stop and arrest us. When that doesn't work, he prepares a fish. And the fish is not to swallow you up, to devour and to defeat you, but it's to save you. It's to restore you to your purpose and your destiny. It's to bring you back to the point where God wants you to be. And after Jonah is swallowed up, what happens? The fish delivers him to the seashore, vomits him forth to his purpose and his destiny. Oh, friend, God cares for you so much, he'll send you a storm. God cares for you so much, he'll send you a fish. Oh, anything that will not swallow you up but save you. Not so that you'll perish, but you'll be pardoned. Not so that you'll be destroyed and devoured, but so you'll be delivered. And you'll come back to the place where your destiny and your purpose is. God cares that much. Oh, somebody say amen. Our God cares. And he shows you how this comes. You see, (laughs) repentance brings immediate redemption. The moment Jonah gets to Nineveh and preaches, the whole city begins to to, to weep and to gnash their teeth and to repent and sackcloth and ashes from the king down. And because of their repentance, God brings them redemption. It is the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. And it is repentance, Peter says, that brings you the gift of God's grace that leads to life. But repentance not only brings redemption, Repentance brings restoration. Read Jonah's prayer. From the belly of hell, I cried out to you, God. And I understand when I trust in lying vanities that I forsake my own mercy and I will pay my vows. Salvation is of the Lord. And when Jonah repented, there's restoration. The fish brings him to where he's supposed to be and puts him back on the path to his purpose. That's what repentance does. It brings immediate redemption and it brings restoration. And the moment he gets on the seashore, what happened? And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Oh, hallelujah. That's how much our God cares. Ruthless, wicked sinners, rebellious, wayward saints. It doesn't matter. Everything in this prophecy just cries out. God cares. But there's another question that this prophecy brings. Do you care? Do we care? Do we care about ruthless, wicked sinners? Jonah decides after he preaches he's going to go outside the city on the east side, build a shelter and see what happens. Remember? And the Bible said that God hurled out and prepared a vine. And this vine grew and it gave Jonah shade. And Jonah was exceedingly filled with great joy because of the vine. And then God sent a worm. And the worm devoured the plant and it withered. And God prepared and hurled out an east wind. And it vehemently beat down upon his head. And Jonah was about to faint. And the Lord said, do you do well, Jonah, to be angry about the destruction of the vine? And he said, I I do well to be angry, even unto death. And God said, you didn't have anything to do with the vine. You didn't grow the vine. You didn't nurture the vine. You didn't do anything for the vine. I did all that. And now that it's gone, you're angry. And if you have compassion and care for a vine you had nothing to do with, 
shouldn't God have compassion and care for a city of people in which there's 120,000 innocent children? Shouldn't God care? Oh, come on. Shouldn't we care? And the question is simply, do we care? And the problem, we have two problems. We have a comfort problem. We have lived so long under the provision of God, just like Jonah. God's, uh, Jonah's living under God's provision. God gave the vine. God gave the shade. God made it possible. And we have so, lived so long under the provision of God, we become so comfortable then we don't care. Oh, I, I don't have. I, I can quote you. I can quote you all the scriptures about God's provision that you would prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospereth. That God is able to make all grace abound towards you, so that you having all sufficiency in all things, my God shall supply. I can quote all those. Once I was young, now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging for bread. God has made provision, and we've lived under it like Jonah so long. We're so comfortable that we don't care. Now, Brother Bob, I care. Do we? Do we really care? Well, the problem is we become complacent. <laughs> we have reach the place that we care more for our situations and our circumstances than we do for others. Quickly, can I just give you a couple of, uh, of statistics? We now have upwards, we know, after the election of 70 million people that support abortion, perversion, same-sex marriage, etc., etc. Do we care? Largest mission field we have right now is not overseas, it's in America. Oh, okay. Do we really care? You know what the stats show? God's people don't give 10% of their income. The average is 2.5%. And 25% of the people in the church never give anything at all. Wow, that bounced all the way back up here. In America, we spend, listen to this, $12.5 trillion every year on ourselves and our families. $12.5 trillion with a T. We spend $11.4 billion with a B on missions and outreach. 95% of that $11.4 billion goes right here in America. Only 45 to 12% reaches cross-culturally. And only 0.5 to 1% goes to unreached people, missions. Every year, Americans spend $95.7 billion every year on their pets. And $36.9 billion on pet food, which is three times what the church gives for outreach. Do we care? We have become so comfortable that we've become complacent. 
we, we hear about all the evil in the world. doesn't do a thing for us. Inundated on television, report after report of Christians that are being persecuted and destroyed in other nations. That the slaughter of innocents, right now it's estimated that every year in the world, 73 million kids are aborted. Do you know there are nations that don't have 73 million people in them? And we're killing a nation in the world every year. You guys need to read more. You're looking at me like I make that stuff up. And you know what? I can say that and it doesn't move us. I'm under the fig tree. I'm under the shade. God hurled out a vine. The heat's not affecting me. I'm doing okay. Me and my family are all right. Oh, okay. The reason is we're complacent. We're comfortable. I've got hurt. Do you remember the story of Hezekiah in the Old Testament? He showed the treasures of his nation to Babylon. And now Isaiah the prophet comes and says, Look, you know what's going to happen because you compromised? God's going to send the Babylonians. They're going to take your kids captive. They're going to be brought into Babylonian culture and its influence. And they will be made eunuchs. And do you know what Hezekiah said? Good is the word of the Lord. Duh. My, my kids are going to be brought into captivity. They're going to be slaves in Babylon and under the influence of an ungodly, idolatrous culture. And, and they're not going to be able to have children. There'll be no more king's children. There'll be no more righteous generation. And Hezekiah said, good is the word of the Lord. Comfort and complacent. And you know what that makes us? Calloused. We don't care. You know what he said? There'll be peace in my day. Oh, did you hear that? As long as I'm okay, <laughs> as long as my family's taken care of, as long as my church people are taken care of, as long as my relatives are, as long as my situation, my circumstances are okay and I'm blessed, well, there'll be peace in my day. Who cares? Who gives a rip about the next generation? Do you know what the prophet said? They'll be made eunuchs. I, I don't like to use the word. It's the only word I know how to use. They will be castrated. There'll be no more king's kids. There'll be no more righteous generations. And he is so callous, he said, who cares? There'll be peace in my day. I'm all right. But aren't we the same? Oh, I, I have a friend. He told me, he said, when I drive down the highway and I see somebody hitchhiking, you know what I do? He's supposed to be a Christian. You, you know what he said I do? He said, I roll down my window and I shout at him. And I say, buy your own gas. But what do you feel when you go by the street corner and you see the guy with the, the, the food sign? We are so comfortable, we become complacent and calloused, and the first thing we give is judgment. Well, they made their own choices. You know what my mama used to say? You made your own bed, lie in it. We give judgment. That's what we do. Listen to me. Do you think that person as a child, somebody said, what do you want to be when you grow up? You remember the story of the one kid told his teacher, asked that, and said, son, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, I want to be possible. And, and his teacher said, possible? 
He said, yeah, my mom says I'm impossible, and when I grow up, I'd like to be possible. You needed that. But do you think that person, somebody said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be homeless. I want to be a drug addict. I want to be a prostitute. I want to grow up without an education, can't get a job, be a single mom, have no source of support, and have five kids to take care of. That's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to come back from the world with a PDSD. I, I, I want to be old and filled with dementia and Alzheimer's. That's, that's what I, and nobody caring for me. In the but do we care? Jonah, do you really care? God cares. And the question is simply, do we care? And I, I've got to stop. I'm not through. I, I want to go on the comparison problem, and I don't have time to do that. But the answer is, do, do we care? Do you care for someone else? So as we start this new year, if you're living in wickedness and sin, if you're ruthless and cruel, I've got a message from God for you. He cares. He loves you. He's not willing that you perish. He'll prepare a prophet He'll hurl out anything that's necessary to get the message to you that all you have to do is exercise the gift of repentance and it will bring you to life and he will save you and redeem you right now. And if you're rebellious and wayward and running away from your purpose, not only affecting you, you're affecting a whole nation that's waiting for a message of hope. Is waiting for the good news of Jesus Christ. And God will send you a storm. He'll send you a fish. He'll send you anything that's necessary to arrest and stop you. Not to destroy, but to deliver. And not to perish, but to pardon. And not to swallow up, but to save. And to send you right back to the place where you're supposed to be with the message of hope and help to a wicked and a cruel generation. And the third thing I want to tell you is this new year is we have to care. And so what I'm going to ask you to do very quickly is to answer that question. Do you care? And what I'm going to ask you to do is to listen to what the Lord says in His Word about caring very quickly. But if you love those who love you, what credit is that for you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive back, what credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much back. And then he brings it down in chapter 14 and verse 12 of Luke. And he says... He also said unto them who invited him, When you give a dinner or supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you have been repaid. Well, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. 
And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Do you care? Oh, we see them, like James said, and they're naked and destitute and without food. And we go by and say, be blessed, be warm, be filled. And we leave them empty and unclothed and hurting. But our friends and those that we're concerned about, our loved ones, we invite them to the feast. Throw a supper, we invite those who can repay us. Jesus said, No, I'm the God who cares. And I want you to care. So when you invite, go find somebody that can't reciprocate. Go find somebody who can't pay you back. Go get someone who can never return it and love them and feed them and give them the message of help and hope. Because I care. Stand with me. So I'm going to ask you to accept a challenge this year. That to begin this new year, you get from out from under the bush of God's provision long enough, out from your comfort and your complacency and even our callousness to find somebody. Find somebody that's wicked and cruel and not under the covenant and a sinner just like the Ninevites and love them and feed them and clothe them I wish I had time for the compare our second problem the comparison problem that's a problem we compare ourselves with the wrong thing Oh, Brother Bob, I give to the pantry. There's more people than need your help in your neighborhood than ever comes to the pantry. There's more people in your job that are lost. Do we care? I'm going to ask you to find somebody in the next few days, in the next few weeks, find somebody that could never hope to give it back and care. Father, I bless your people in the name of Jesus. As we start this new year, we're glad that you care for us and that we live under the provision of God, shelters in place. The Lord, move us as a congregation. Move us as your body. Out from under the shelter of your grace and your care long enough to care for the innocents and those who are suffering and hurting. You care. Help us to care in Jesus' name. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion. 